Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to All the Wiser. I'm Kimmy Kolf. All the Wiser is a one-for-one podcast. For every inspiring interview you hear, we donate $2,000 to charities around the world. I believe in the power of storytelling to inspire us all to think differently about the world around us. So I've combed the country for some of the most jaw-dropping stories you have ever heard. People who have been to the brink and back, stories of survival against all odds, and whose lives have been changed in unthinkable ways. Today's interview is with Cassie McKee. Cassie happens to be my cousin and one of the people that I look up most to in life. I have always been in awe by her sense of self and optimism, and I'm really excited for you guys to meet her today. Cassie has a form of dwarfism called achondroplasia. Her husband, Tom, and her kids, Sam and Sarah, have achondroplasia as well. Today, we talk openly about their life living as a family of little people in a world designed for people of average height. We talk about genetics, parenting, strangers at the checkout line, how she loves nothing more than an honest question from a five-year-old, and the importance of curiosity and conversations. We recorded today's interview over the phone. may sound a bit different, like cousins talking on the phone, because that's what it is. But I'm really grateful to be able to have you guys listen in on this conversation. So many people have asked me questions about Cassie and her family over the years, and I just think it's really cool to hear everything directly from her. And before we get started, a quick ask. If you haven't already, please subscribe to All the Wiser on Apple Podcast. Every other week, we bring you great stories like Cassie, and we want to make sure you know when they come out. And now, for this week's All the Wiser episode with my cousin and role model, Cassie McKee. Cassie McKee, welcome to All the Wiser. Thank you so much. So I was thinking about it in my professional career. I have never interviewed a family member. So this is a first. You are my cousin. I have known you since I was born. You are the person who taught me how to make mixtapes. And you are also the one who saved me when I got trapped in our grandma's foldaway bed when we played hide and seek and I was stuck inside the couch. So indeed. <laughs> that um that that gives a setup of how close we are and, and how many years we go back. But today Absolutely. we are going to talk about your life as a person and as a mother living with dwarfism. Before we do that, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. Excellent. Thank you. Um I am Cassie, Kimmy's cousin. And um, I am a mom and a woman and a wife, and I have a form of dwarfism that is called achondroplasia, and it's the most common type of dwarfism, although 
dwarfism is not that common. And can you explain what is dwarfism? The type of dwarfism that I have is called achondroplasia. And that is, my growth is, is inhibited, or it was when I was growing. It is a failure of conversion from when the cartilage gets formed into bone. And so growing up when I was young, my, I would just always tell people that my bones just weren't growing as theirs. I was just different. So I am small, smaller than the average person. I stand at four feet. And my husband, um, who is also little, he's four seven. And then our two children also have the type of dwarfism that we have. Um, and they are both around four feet as well. I think it's important that we get the terminology right up front in this conversation. Can you share with people? Because I, I think some people honestly don't know kind of the the right language around dwarfism. Can you share that with us? Of course. I, I think that's exactly correct. Um, and I, I wish I, lately I've been thinking all about this, well, actually for years, and I wish there wasn't a need to, to even have this conversation. Um, but about, because I first am, I'm a woman who, who happens to have dwarfism and terminology. Um, I would rather be called my name than, than anything else. But in, in the past and throughout history, little people have been, there we go right there, little people. I think right now in this day and age, we do prefer that term um, when it is needed. And there have been some terms that have become extremely derogatory, but not everybody knows that and continue to be, to be used unknowingly. And I do believe with no harm intended in the, in the beginning. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was looking for. And I've known over the years when we can talk about it more, you know, when I talk about your conventions and the kids camp, I say that, you know, they're doing a weekend with little people. It's incredible. And I'm not sure that everybody knows that. So I think it's important to share. Right. So tell me, tell me about the backdrop of your childhood and your experience growing up. Sure. I was born in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and go Cleveland Browns, and born to two parents, my mom and dad. And I'm the only child. So we had a very, very small, wonderful little family. Um, My parents made sure that I was involved in as much as I wanted to be and even in things that I didn't want to be. But yet they they supported me um, and pushed me forward. From the get-go, I believe because of my difference, my parents are of average size, And I was the only little person in our family, as well as in our town. Um, So because of my difference, they just did not want me to be treated any differently or for me to think that I needed to be treated any differently. When do you remember first noticing that your body and stature were different from average bodies? It's a good 
a good question. And I remember it very vividly. When I was younger, my parents had um, me go to Johns Hopkins University where there was a, a short statute clinic, a bone disorder, bone growth clinic way back in the day. And we would go there every summer. And as I got older, I believe I was around, you know, seven or maybe even no younger than that, maybe five or six. And I was at one of these symposiums and I was seeing other little people, other children that were running around. And I remember very vividly seeing this one child running down the hallway. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I, do I look like that? Do I look like that when I run? And so I went to my mom and I said, mom, do I, do I look like that when I run? And then that's when the conversation started happening um, about how I was little and my bones grow differently. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was different for me. How old were you when that happened? I want to say five. So I know, cause I spent a lot of time with you, you, had incredible parents and um, just a great neighborhood and a lot of friends. I remember remember seeing and observing that. What I don't know, and we've never talked about it, is I think adolescents moving into preteen and teenage years are hard for everyone. They were certainly hard for me. As you grew out of being a younger child and into being a teenager, what was your experience and do you think that your differences sort of heightened that for you in a sense? I remember my friend started dating and I remember that the feeling like was, Oh, I wonder, you know, if I'm ever going to start dating and who was that going to be? And it, and it really wasn't during school. I didn't find that relationship at school. Whereas I saw a lot of my friends partnering with, you know, other friends at, at school. But what I did find was um, when I was in the early teens again, we started getting more involved in a group called Little People of America. And that is what really changed my, my life at the time. But I was old enough to start hanging around other kids and we were allowed to do other things on our own. Um, and we started going out and establishing these relationships with kids that really were all over the world. I established relationships that way and started dating within LPA. Um, I dated my husband at a very, very young age. And um, I had He's rad. just wonderful relationships. He is rad. Very. I, I want you to explain LPA because it's so such an incredible part of your life and your family's life. And when you explain it beyond what it is, I would love to know your first experience of walking in a room and having everybody look just like you. Yeah, that's good. Um, LPA, Little People of America, was founded by Billy Barty, who was a little person himself. He was an actor um, an entertainer back in the 50s, and um, it was intended to just have, be a gathering of, of little people in a smaller section of the U.S., but then it, as it grew, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, 
and it is now all throughout the U.S. And I don't, I don't know how many people, but our conventions usually contain over two to 3,000, I believe, and that's little people along with their families. It was a huge part of my young child, my older childhood, I guess, and my young teenage years and my early 20s. I remember it being just a huge, huge impact. And going to these things, I would have countdowns with my friends on our walls because we were just wanting to go and, and see each other and be with each other and stand next to somebody and just look at them and be able to talk to them in their face. And that is a feeling that, uh, that still to this day, I just, I just love. What was it like watching your kids experience that for the first time? (laughs) It was different for them, I think, than it was for me because they live it every day. Um, The kids being born and raised to a family that's little, both Tom and I. And uh, so to them, it was really no big deal. It, it really, um, it didn't hit them as hard, I don't think, as it did Tom and I when we were younger. And I think it's important, you talked about the families, that this is a misconception too. But as you mentioned, you have two average-sized parents. And Tom, how tall are Tom's brothers? They're around six feet. Yes, they're six feet. And his yes. parents or of average height. So if you right. can explain that, and I, I think that's fascinating, sort of the lens and perspective of family members, whether it's a parent or a sibling, who are of average height. I sure can. Um, good question. And it's a question that I really love talking about because people are just so interested in in finding this out. And genetics, I think, is, is amazing anyway. Um, so both Tom's parents and mine, had no trace of dwarfism in their families before. So it was just something with the genetic match between my parents and Tom's parents, obviously, that when they were born, it was just something that was like one in uh, 25,000 births. It actually happens. So, but most people that are born with dwarfism are born to average size parents, if that makes sense. So, I think 80% of the kids that are born, achondroplasia especially, are born to average-sized parents. So now when Tom and I had decided to have children, there is some genetic stuff there where we have, when there's two people with achondroplasia who have a baby, there is a 50% chance that the child will be born with achondroplasia, just like us. There is a 25% chance that the baby will be born of average height. And then there's a 25% chance that the baby would get the dwarf gene from both Tom and I. And that, unfortunately, is a a horrific instance where the baby would either die before birth or um, stillborn or die shortly after. So that had to be a scary and deeply emotional experience for you. What do you remember about that? Very. It was, and it is for for anyone going through. Um, We were very scared. I was very scared, especially with our first, not only just because of the whole, you know, whether or not 
she was going to be little, but just the all the whole thing about oh my gosh, I'm having a baby and just her her health in general. So we were one of the first um, couples to be tested with Sarah um, at 13 weeks gestation. We were able to have some prenatal testing to let us know that she was going to be born with achondroplasia. Because your parents had no idea until you were born, correct? That's that's correct. This this genetic testing, the gene for the achondroplasia was found very, I mean, in the whole spectrum, very short time ago. Obviously, especially with the circumstances, all you want is a happy, healthy baby. Did you think about what the experience would be like having an average size child? Or did you have a, 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 I guess I'm just curious if you thought about it or if you and time talked about it. Yes, I, I, we did. And I think it, we, we didn't care. I mean, we, we, I remember the discussions. It, it would be no matter what the child was average size or, or little, that wouldn't make any difference. And I, I do remember like joking around and this is probably inappropriate, but I remember thinking that we could take our child to the grocery store and the trip would be much easier because it's, yeah, everything is really high, but it's that it didn't, it wasn't a thing. We didn't really talk about it a lot because it was just, we don't, we don't really care as long as, the baby's healthy. Speaking of the grocery store and, you know, I always love to, I guess, have these conversations through the lens of curiosity of, of, of people. There's things I know about extensions and driving and um, how you guys have remodeled your house, but speak to some of those everyday things, the grocery store, the, you're living in a world that is built for people of average size height. So what are some of those navigations? Sure. Um, in our cars, we have just pedal extensions that we're able to take on and off. They're just these metal things that clasp on to the existing pedals and just give us the ability to, to push the pedals sitting back. Um, that's the only modification that, that we have with our cars. Um, living in the average size world, it, it really, I mean, it's just what we know. I mean, I know nothing else, but I do know that the grocery store is not one of my favorite places to go only because I, I always have to ask for help. Sometimes I used to take this stick and sometimes I could finagle it to, you know, pop something down from a top shelf. And when I was younger, I would climb the shelf sometimes, but now I just ask. Because people are always, always, always very willing to help. And Tom still climbs. But what's nice now is that our grocery stores around here anyway have a, the deal where you can just order everything online and you can go pick it up. And it's all, but yeah. So recently, I've, we do that quite a bit. And then your house, modifying your, your house. Because the same thing, a grocery store, you buy a new home and the countertops and the cabinetry is, is not built for your day-to-day life. Right. We, we, okay. So with that, we've done with our house here now, very little 
uh, accommodations. So we have stools everywhere in the kitchen. We chose not to make any modifications um, for resale value. Plus we have to adapt and growing up with the, with the kids in a house, we recently moved, but in the house that the kids grew up with, we were there for about 15 years and we chose not to make any major accommodations just because they're always going to, we're always going to have to adapt to getting out there outside of our home. We're going to have to climb and we're going to have to ask and we're going to have to, um, you know, just be mindful of, of things being different for us and that's okay. And, uh, so we just chose not to do that to our home. Now that our next home, maybe when the kids are, well, they're going to be gone anyway, but when we go into our retirement home and we go to a place that we know is just going to be mainly for Tom and I, um, I totally want everything accommodated. (laughs) I want it all down. I want it all low. I want everything. I want to be able to go up to my kitchen counter and, and reach something in the back without, you know, climbing up on a stool. So. We'll see. I'm just thinking of your stick and like the fact that it may have been bedazzled. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> and it had a little and it had a little white like it was it was jimmied. I mean, it was really crazy. And I can see it was like a hook and it was bedazzled with like this tape that had sparkles on it. I knew it. So, yeah. <laughs> and that by the way for the kids is so I know how intentional you are and thoughtful in your parenting. But that is a gift, I think, to them to set it up. So for the world, they're going to navigate outside your home. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Speaking of your kids who are awesome, did you have, and we all do, hopes and fears based on your experience growing up as a little person in this world? Growing up as, no, I, I didn't. I have to say I did not due to their dwarfism when they were born, because I felt like, well, it's, it's really no, it was no different than my upbringing and, or my, how I was going to be, or how they were going to be brought up. So I didn't have any fears with, with that. It wasn't until later when they were able to walk and we would go into the stores themselves. And when the kids were with me, it the the reactions oftentimes were were much more intense um, from other people, from people who were also in the store. Like it wasn't just me anymore. It was now about my my children. And I think when when I started noticing that, I became more protective, and I didn't I didn't want that. And it was it really was upsetting to me because to me I just. I dealt with that all my life and it, and I didn't really, it didn't really affect me. But when I saw it happening to my children, that's when, and that was something that, um, that was difficult for me. Did you see it affecting them or would you observe them experiencing it in a hurt, you know, a painful way? It would affect them when I would approach the, the curiosity of the, the people that, we were in front of, like, let's say we would go to the mall and we would walk in and I would see 
you know, a group of people, and it all depends. I mean, we get all types of reactions, and um, if if I reacted to their reaction in a negative way, it it really it put my kids in in a bad spot. They were very embarrassed. Like if I would go up to this group of people and say, "Hey, do you have any questions?" You know, that kind of thing. That was something where the kids, when they were younger, um, were were embarrassed when that happened because they felt like that brought even more attention to us. But I do believe now as they're older, they see the importance of, of talking to people who have this curiosity instead of ignoring it. Um, and it's just as simple, you know, do you have any questions? Um, I see that you're probably curious of, of my story in, in do you have any questions? I'd be happy to answer. And most people, all people, just really want to realize that that you're human. And I know you're talking about the experience of being protective as a mother. And I know from talking to you, it's not actually the reaction of the kid who's pointing or asking questions. It's often the reaction of the mother. Explain that dynamic, especially for kids, I think, any mother, because kids do notice things and they say things that adults don't. And I think that you've really taught me something that's a gift. And I'd love for you to share that. Oh, well, and I I love talking about this because it is so, I mean, everybody feels when there's, when there's difference out there, it's, it's, we don't know how to respond. So when we go out there, children are so curious they just come flat out and ask, you know, why is that mommy so small? Why is that woman so small? You know, I mean, so when children ask that, oftentimes the, the parent embarrassed, they don't know how to respond. They don't know why I'm little. So they they distract the child. They sometimes pull them away. They sometimes put their hands over their eyes. They sometimes yell at them and what that then teaches that child is that they can't ask questions. Then their curiosity is bad. So when I see those type of situations, if I feel like it's a positive, I will go up to the mother often or father or friend or whoever. And I'll say, Hey, I see there's some questions. Would you like to, you know, ask me anything. And then if the child will definitely want to ask something and all they need to know is that I can speak, that I have a name, that I'm a mom, not a kid, because that's confusing. Why are you a mom, but you're four feet tall? So they just need to hear those words. And then more times than not, the next thing that comes out of their mouth is, so do you want to see this new ball that I just got? I mean, they don't care. That connection has been made. And the connection has been made, and it goes to the first thing you said, which is talking about the terminology, you wish it didn't even exist, because that is who you are. You're a mom, you're a person, you're a... So kind of, I think, breaking down that curiosity gets you there in a cool way. I know that there are times when people have been really shitty. Um and I remember you told me one recently, and you you came up to them, I believe, in the parking lot and said something, which I thought was really cool. Do you know what story I'm talking about? You remember that? It wasn't that long ago. Yes. Maybe it was. The In the grocery yeah. store parking lot? 
Yeah. So will you sh- will you share that? Yes, I I sure will. It's uh, with smartphones now and cameras. It is semi common when we're out in public that we see pictures are being taken of us. So we're very hyper aware of of phones and people's motions. Um, so there was a time at the grocery store a couple of years ago where Tom and I were in line and we were paying for our groceries and there was um, a couple behind us who were, they were, they were old enough. They were like probably mid thirties, forties or so. And um, the gentleman was, was taping us and I was embarrassed. You know, it just puts you in an awkward position. I'm, I'm paying for my groceries. I'm, I'm busy doing that. I'm talking with the cashier and the, I am very, very well aware of what's happening right behind me. So I get, I can just feel my, my pulse get tighter and, you know, faster. Um, and I knew it was happening and I'm like, Tom, they're taping us. And he goes, I know, let's just go. So we, we were done. We are, we're out in the parking lot and these people that were behind us continued they came out and our cars were actually right across from each other. Like at the backs of our cars were facing each other. I remember this so clearly. And the woman at this point was standing against her car, taping us, putting our groceries into the trunk. And I went over there without Tom knowing. <laughs> and I said, you know, Hey, I, I noticed that you're, you're filming us. Do you, do you have any questions or would you like to ask me anything or do you want to talk about anything? Cause I'm, and they're like, well, we're not taping you. I said, Oh, okay. Um, it just looks like you are. And the gentleman said to me, why don't you just go back with your friends from the wizard of Oz? And I was shocked because Things like that don't normally happen um, face-to-face. I don't know what's happening with people that I can't hear, but to my face, I can only say a handful of times where something that um, shocking, I didn't know how to respond. It, it kind of pushed me back. And I said, okay, I just ask that if you are filming us, that you choose to be very kind where you put it. Um, if, if you're putting it somewhere, just be kind. I, I, I'm just asking you that please. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about and get away from me. And wizard of Oz and freak and that kind of thing. So I turned around and went back to the car and Tom was like, what, what just happened? Like he didn't even know that because <laughs> it was across the way. And I was, I was terrified. I was like shaken a little bit because I didn't, um, I realized that I, I put myself in a position that, um, that could have been dangerous. And I have since changed my, my, um, responses to, to what I think is people filming us or taking pictures. I usually just wave because, I would rather be thought of as a kind individual than someone who is um, threatening. And then so next time that person sees another little person, 
I don't want, you know, I want there to be a, a kind and loving memory instead of something negative. You know, the thing, I don't remember the Wizard of Oz part. Why I asked is I remember you saying, I know you're filming us and all I ask is that when you, wherever you're going to share it, you're kind. That I imagine it was, your blood was boiling, it's hurtful, it's stressful. And for you to, I don't know, just come to it from that place was was really cool. I want to talk about medical things that you guys have been through because there are some, you know, procedures and that were necessary along the way that both you and Tom and the kids went through. So can you speak to the sort of medical piece? Sure. We have been very, very blessed with good health overall. We, we really have. There, there do come some medical complications with achondroplasia. Um, most, most common, especially with younger children, um, is some back and neck issues, um, which our children did not have any of that. However, legs, um, they, they bow. So it's something that they need to have fixed in order to align their body better and have better support for their back. So both of our kids had leg surgery to unbow their legs. Um, Tom had it as well as a young child. He did. And that's something where they go in and they actually cut the bone and they kind of reset it. And then they're in casts for six to 12 weeks. And there's many other procedures now that that are a little quicker and less um, intrusive. But I remember with the kids, it's six to 12 weeks in a cast, which means all of a sudden in a wheelchair at school. Yeah. 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 Wheelchair, then walkers. Both kids had it done young enough where um, they had tutors come into the house. But when it did become time to go to school, they were in a wheelchair and we were, they were, the school provided an aid for both of them, which was so helpful. But they, they just adapted. I mean, they knew it was something that it was going to make them feel better and they could run faster. And it was just something that they had to go through. Our ears are something that we all have, all four of us have problems with, that Sarah actually has a hearing aid. Um, we have eustachian tubes in the back of our ears that are, are horizontal, so we have some hearing loss. But for the most part, um, you know, we have been very fortunate, and uh, the, but there, there can certainly be some pretty, pretty big medical issues. Speaking to medicine and science. I know growing up, I was aware through you that there was a bone lengthening procedure, which I remember was gnarly, like drilling screws into the legs yeah. and lengthening them by turning it. Um, yeah. And today, I, with the advent in technology, I think it's an actual growth hormone injection. Um I know you have really passionate opinions on on both of those and sort of what they mean um, to be a little person and and have that happening. Uh Can you explain that? What the procedures are and and your thinking around them? Sure. The bone lengthening procedures was just that. They actually, and it was for um, people who, who just wanted to be taller. It's still, they still have achondroplasia with this bone lengthening procedure. 
It doesn't change genetically who they are, but it just, it's a procedure where they go into the bone and in the arms and legs only. And, um, and they, they set the bones every, I don't even know details, but where, and they're able to make them longer. So new bone growth can fill in the gaps until they usually, I believe gain like a foot or a foot and a half in height. Um, and that was something that was, it seemed to be pretty, I don't want to say popular, but we heard about it a lot. Uh, like 10 years ago, maybe. And then um, since then, there is now this drug that is coming out and being tested on children with achondroplasia that are injections that actually goes into um, the, the genetic makeup of the child and it stops the inhibition of bone growth. So it stops that that part where the cartilage doesn't form into bone, it stops it. So it, it does form into bone. And so it, they're thinking what it will do is if you start giving it to an, a person with achondroplasia as a child, it has to be very young. So during their, their growing periods that their bones will catch up and, and just grow like they like, like if you didn't have achondroplasia, so like as an average size person, they would just start growing. So, but so genetically you are being changed The from the achondroplasia bit goes, I don't really know that much about it. I'm not that scientific. Um, but my, my feelings about it is, is interesting because I think it's changed over the, the past couple of years or months um you know if if I was average size and if I knew that I was going to be having a child with achondroplasia um not knowing anything that I know about it now not knowing that I could you know have a child that could just have a regular normal life um with achondroplasia, I, I don't know what I would do. I I don't know what my parents would have done if this was something that was offered to them. And while I was, you know, even in vitro, and this option would have been available, I I don't know. But knowing what I know now, um, I would choose not to make any of those changes because I, I mean, why would I, I, there is nothing in my life that being little or having a chondroplasia has provided a negative. I wouldn't change anything. I'm just going to say that. And I know Sarah, your daughter, I don't know if she posted or maybe shared with my mom about feeling passionate about it. That This is an injection that, that said I wouldn't be me, you know? And, um, because you do have this amazing, beautiful whole life. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's complicated. Well, I, I think it brings up like the whole, like, why, why do you want to get rid of a rid of difference just because we're little and just because we're, we're different. I, I think medically they're coming at it 
and an angle more about health reasons, about the backs and about the legs and about the discomfort with uh, stenosis and all of that. Um, but I, I, you know, on another side, I feel like, why are you trying to erase who we are? And if we did that for every condition or every person of difference, everybody would be the same and it would be very boring. It'd be so freaking boring. Yes. What do you think is the best thing about being a little person? It's it's being able to be out in the world and know that nobody is the same and everybody has something to give. And I, I believe that being different just gives me another lens to see others and accept. I think the acceptance piece is huge, accept differences of, of all kinds and, and just be aware. Is there a hardest part? The grocery store. That's what the bedazzled wand is for. <laughs> I, I mean, there, of course, like if I was in a moment of something, I would be able to bring it up. But if I look at, you know, look at it as a whole, no, I, I, I don't. I mean, the only thing I can think of is if I wasn't little, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am. And I, that's terrifying. I mean, I can't imagine being anywhere else. You've touched on this a lot in our conversation, but I'm going to ask it. What are the differences between what you think society thinks of living with dwarfism and what dwarfism is actually like? That's a really good question. I never really thought of it that way. I think that living with dwarfism it's hard for me to answer because it's, it's just, I do. I just, I, we just do. We have to make some adjustments. We have to make some accommodations when we can't reach something, but that's it. I mean, it's just about reaching. I think people's perceptions a lot. And I believe it is changing for the positive. I think historically, especially people's, perceptions of little people is that they're they're creatures or things versus human um it or just not human they're more of a of a character than than a human it's so interesting because i you know you you said it's hard to answer the question because it's just your life and it's so normalized to you and it's so beyond normalized to me that you are just Cassie you are my cousin and you know it is it's hard to step outside of it I agree and my kids and and I have to say your kids and my kids are very close and Sarah your daughter mm-hmm. at one point our littlest asked I don't think the big kids ever even have said anything no because they've been close but but Esty our daughter had a question and Sarah I remember explained and sat down with her and my bones are just a different length than yours 
And so Esty was, I was getting her dressed one day and I don't know how old she was, five or six. And she had this like really great outfit. And I'm like, I want to steal this. This is like so cute. And she was like, well, mom, then you'd have to be, you know, a kindergarten, you're a mom and that wouldn't work because you'd be small. And then she goes, oh, it could work because in our family, some people have smaller bones. It could work, mom. <laughs> but it was like the light bulb went off. And um, so it is so normalized. Um, and I hope one day that's just is what it is for every person on the planet. Yeah. How do you think living w with a difference, and we all have differences, has shaped and formed who you are today? I think that living, yeah, like, but like you said, everybody, everybody's different. It's just some differences are more apparent. Um, but I think living with a more apparent or more visible difference has made me realize that um, that we all have a common desire or common need to feel human. I have to say, which I've shared with you many times, I've looked up to you my entire life. So I want to thank you for that, for being a great role model as a person and a mom in my life. And thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. And I hope they learned something new. And I think you've done a beautiful job just in informing people and sharing yourself. Wow. Thank you for allowing me to share. I love it. Okay. We do the little thing called rapid fire, which you know, because you're my cousin and you have to listen to the podcast. Yes. Are you ready? I guess. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, favorite place. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So freaking awesome. Love it. Best way to spend a Sunday? With Tom and the kids on a drive in the car. The thing you like most about yourself? That I love to love. Beer or wine? Both. <laughs> Duh. Favorite song? Salisbury Hill and You're in My Heart by Rod Stewart. Biggest pet peeve? Spacing errors in sentences. Your best advice to your 20-year-old self? Life is going to be awesome. Greatest hope for your children? To love themselves. And finally, your favorite words of wisdom? There was, growing up in our laundry room, my mom had this poster up, or this picture, and it was a saying... Don't walk in front of me. I may not follow. Don't walk behind me. I may not lead. Just walk beside me and be my friend. And that seriously 
has runs in my head very, very often um, at different areas of my life. And, and I mean, to me, it, it comes up all the time in my job and personal life. Um, but that was something that I saw every day. And it was really, it was a big one. I want to let our listeners know you're in Ohio. I'm in California. And we're using a um, professional podcasting network to record this interview. And they somehow gave us screen names. And you <laughs> have popped up as... <clears throat> And you have popped up as Bright Amplifier. Yep. And I, my name is Passionate Emoji. <laughs> so Bright Amplifier, I love you. You're awesome. And I can't wait to see you in person. Passionate Emoji, I love you more. And uh, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Today's episode supports Little People of America, LPA. And after my conversation with Cassie, I hope you understand why LPA is such a special organization. In doing my research on LPA, I learned that short stature is generally caused by one of more than 200 medical conditions known as dwarfism. And LPA welcomes all 200 plus forms of dwarfism. Cassie talked about the magic of their conventions when she walked in a room and everyone else looked just like she did. But this is just one piece of LPA. They are also providing parent support, medical support, education, scholarships, grants, and their members range from newborn babies to senior citizens. You can learn more about their work at lpaonline.org. That's lpaonline.org. And thank you again to Cassie, Tom, Sarah and Sam for being awesome people and Cassie for making the time to share your story with us today. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Gerard at Podkit Productions. Our sound engineer is Juan Diego from Harmonix and our associate producer is Cassie Hollister. As always, thank you for listening. I hope if you like today's episode, you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. That was awesome. We're done recording. We're done? Yeah. We did it! Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.